Welcome to episode 309 of the Winning Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always, it's my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. Whoa. Jordan, how are you doing? <laughs> Coming in hot. Uh, I'm doing well. Yeah, sure. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Um, surviving, like the rest of us, basically? Surviving, maybe thriving. Is anybody th- thriving? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, yes, I'm surviving. Is there anything? I'm. I'm. I paused because I realized <laughs> this could, this could bring us all sorts of ways. But I've been, I've been noticing a trend. I'm sure you have too. You listened to podcasts recently. Um, I've been struck by some of the podcasts that would just never have the kind of idle nonsense chit chat that is you know, a staple of what we do. Mm. They're doing, like, episodes that are almost all of that, and it's very strange. So I feel like we need to reclaim some of that territory for ourselves. So I was going to ask you, is there anything anything interesting you've been doing, you've been reading, you've been watching? Let us in on what the last few days of Jordan Tresky's life have been like. Oh. <sighs> Well, writing, <laughs> writing, um, reading that. I think it's basically everything I said last time we podcasted. I've been reading a Bucks book. Reading. Tell us about the Bucks book. Tell us about the Bucks book. Come on, um, this is this is the world we're living in. We've got to drag out of Jordan, the most reluctant man in the world. We've got to drag the content out. You are enjoying this books book. You've told me about it. Remind everyone again the name. Not that there's like copies in circulation for other people to get their hands on. But. <laughs> From Coin Toss to Championship. It's about the 1971 Monkey Buck season. With a little bit of like preamble about getting Kareem Oscar. The kind of you know big picture stuff at that time. But yeah, it's very good. I enjoy it a lot. It's basically just very detailed running through the entire 82 game season and playoff run. And there's like, it's there's quotes from the time of all this stuff, which is super interesting. So you're not like, I mean, a lot of the stuff you can't find like on YouTube or any like film of it, but it's pretty darn close in terms of just like getting a picture and a sense of just how the team was and how other teams talked about, which has been even more interesting in my eyes. Um, but yeah, that's I highly recommend that. Watch the movies. Watch rewatch the social network. Uh we should have known. Um <laughs> We should have known. Definitely sh- definitely should have known. We should have known. Uh basically It's almost yeah. like we did know and we just carried on anyway. Yeah. 
I, that's probably a better way to, to just to, to explain it. Um, to explain everything, really, I think. I can think of lots of major things going on, soon to go on, to go on in our lifetime that we could say. <laughs> we knew and we just carried on anyway. Yes, yes we did. And look where we are. Stuck in our houses, bubble, bubble boy, Jake Gyllenhaal. It all goes back to the Gyllenhaal. Sure it does. Uh, for my side of this, I don't think I've anything as exciting as I'd like because I've been writing like you. But my t- my movie watching time has been taken up by basketball movies. I the episode went up on this podcast feed, but there was a caption satellite episode speaking about basketball movies, um, which. Andrew Snyder and Ty Windish that we just posted. So I had like days upon days of almost exclusively watching basketball movies for that, which was actually a better experience than I thought. Um, a lot of things saw for the first time. I don't need to go into detail on that. It's, it's literally on this podcast feed, so you can go and listen to it if you like. Uh, but that took up a lot of that. Reading, I've nothing, nothing MBA related at the moment. I am reading uh, a great book, a book that I started a while back and got sidetracked, and I'm glad to be back to it. I'm not sure if it's the kind of light and cheery reading though that people might be into at this time, Jordan. What? It's a book called "To Be To Be a Machine." It's by Mark O'Connell. And it's about transhumanism and people who are basically interested in mind uploading and it's about kind of the inevitability of AI and the challenges that are going to come with that. I don't know if it's the best book for the moment, but it's actually, you know, it's something different, you know? You think one thing's bad and then, oh, well, something bad, even worse can come along. So that's where I'm at. Really good book for people who want to uh, distract themselves with things that could be worse, things that may well be worse. But anyway, I think I've, I think I've not got anything worth saying to cheer people up here. But we'll we'll continue to revisit this. Maybe there'll be some. Maybe there'll be some interesting week to week. Maybe we'll have some groundbreaking discoveries. Maybe next week you'll have you'll have finished the first act of that play you've always been looking to write, Jordan. <laughs> if I wrote a play, oh my god. Um... Yeah, I mean, eventually we're gonna probably run out of things to talk about basketball wise, so it's gonna be it's gonna be even more scattered and just probably weirder than we've ever been when that time comes. There's a large segment of our listenership that would probably be very interested in being weirder than it's ever been. So I think that's that's us kind of leaning into it when we get to that point. We're not quite at that point yet, though. We do ha- still have basketball stuff to talk about. Um, we are going to basically pick up from where we left off last week. Last week, we talked with the books players who were facing free agency-related question marks this summer and what that would mean for the books. And as promised on this occasion, we're going to look at some of the players who could be of interest to the books in their price range jordan has kindly obliged and basically done all of the research on this and the one of the things that strikes me and we'll get into it in a second because i do want to just talk about i guess the the more current the shape of how things are moving in the nba at the moment or not moving as the case may be but when i look at the list i'm like 
there's 15 guys that Jordan and I love to talk about every summer. Yep, I was <laughs> I, that was how I was going to set this up too. Like there's I I hate to say that we're not going to be bringing completely not... brand new content to long-time listeners because the kind of players the books could be in the mix for a lot of them are players who we've definitely all talked about before. But we will we will get into that. We'll discuss the options and I guess that will then probably set up some of the other conversations we'll be having in the weeks and months ahead related to the draft um, and things like that. But first of all, I guess quick update on where the books are at, where the NBA are at. Since we last recorded, um, John Horst and Mike Budenholzer spoke to the media. Um, Giannis, Chris, Brooke and Bledsoe spoke to the media. We learned that Giannis and Chris don't have hoops at their houses which I think last week I mentioned something that I thought Giannis did. So uh, there goes that one. On the the league-wide front, there was a report from Baxter Holmes of ESPN that the NBA and the MBPA are pushing ahead with exploring rapid testing options that I guess is viewed as the first big step towards trying to figure out a way to come back. Um, I don't think it's really much more than that, but the idea is that if they could, whether it's there's one central location, whether it's a city in the east, a city in the west, and play a lot of games there, have no fans in arenas, basically have operations boiled down to the absolute bare minimum and have players tested and results back within like 10-15 minutes before games so that they in theory, can say, oh, everyone's safe to be in here, everyone's safe to play. What are your thoughts on this story, Jordan? What are your... Is this... I mean, for me, I felt good. They're looking at options. They're looking to do things. They're remaining proactive and upbeat. I guess that's a positive. But... I think there's a uh, quite a bit of fancy still involved here. Yeah, I mean, we yesterday was what a month, correct? Four weeks since the the maybe the go bear uh, the jazz. I'll agree with whatever you tell me time wise to do with everything. I don't know what That's time true, is yeah. anymore. Yeah, time, um, time doesn't matter. Um, is it uh, is it a month? Is it only a month? Is kind of part of that too that I feel. You're probably right. It's it's certainly around that. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I just it's hard not to be skeptic, skeptical about everything because it's one thing to like say like, oh, this is what we're doing. You know, like testing's gonna be. It wasn't just the uh, NBA report. There was a report by ESPN about like how the MLB is trying to come back to, but there's. Inclusion about like oh when widespread testing is coming fairly soon, um, that kind of gets the ball rolling on how things can be, you know any any plan to salvage a season or even for any sports league can really kind of uh, get going out of you know out of the gate, um, but until that happens, I mean anything's kind of just you know why make plans when you have literally have no idea what's going to happen 24 hours later, or, you know, all that stuff. So I just, I, there's a lot of the line with everything that ha- like just finishing out the season. Obviously it's not just this season talked about last week where next season is definitely going to get impacted, whether they 
you know, push it back to begin with and, or even just kind of restructure their whole entire league calendar, which gives them the perfect way to do that. Um, I just, until something big happens in terms of testing or whatever other obstacles stand away, when we have something more tangible to talk about, then I am kind of on the, on the side of the season's probably not going to continue. Yeah, I I think the thing that every time see we talk about next next season, I just I don't know why it's even part of the conversation because you know there, we're not going to have the whole of the U.S. the whole of the world vaccinated by the time next yeah. season becomes the issue. So we're still going to be dealing with some version of the reality of this at that point, and. I just, I just don't know why, from an NBA perspective, that would factor into it. And I, I think ideally they want to finish this season and they want to do next season. They don't want to lose out in that revenue and they want to carry on. I, that's, I get that, but I do still feel like when it comes down to it, I mean, next season should be the one that loses out, even in a just, just in a logical sense. If you think of, let's think about the draft and let's think about college basketball. Because your calendar is intertwined with so much else and so much else can kind of get thrown off by it. If they just cancelled this season at some point, if they get to a point and they're like, no, we need to focus on starting next season. There's no guarantee they can start next season in November. Like, there is no guarantee. Even if, I think as a lot of people, a lot of experts have projected with it, if there is an element of control. If this kind of dies down around the world, there is a strong possibility that come November, December and into early 2021, there could well be a second wave if there isn't a treatment. But even if there is, you just mean you're still dealing with it. You could just control a bit more. It's until we've a vaccine, This it's going to hang over it. Yeah, what a, and I, I, Eddie... I just wonder with that. So let's say, let's take the NBA out of it. But if, say they cancelled this season come August, which in many ways would seem reasonable, and say, look, it's just too late, we've got to just move on from this season. But then the, the new campaign comes around, and like the college basketball season doesn't even get started. And then you're moving into another cycle, and you've got maybe freshmen who, I don't know, will never play? Or like what happens to your draft then? I... I don't know what way they balance them. I guess this is the challenge, but I don't feel like there's an easy way out. I think like this season is nearly done. The college season is done. So you've got to kind of, I think you've got a clear delineation, but you can pick this thing up and I mean, somewhat carry on as normal whenever this is over. That will affect your next season unless you completely, you know, rewrite the schedule and everything we know of it and NBA schedule changes for good. But I I do struggle with the sense of the timeline. This isn't just a basketball. This is Life. lots of sports. And the, the baseball thing bringing up, the thing I find with baseball, baseball hasn't started its season, you no. know? I know that's almost, in some ways, that's the worst spot and in some ways it's the best spot, but... You know, the logical thing is, yeah, sit this one out. Sit it out for a while. And if you have to shorten your season, you're starting from a point where everyone's on equal footing. You're shortening your season. It's a lot less complicated than if the NBA is just like, oh, you were one game out of the eight spot. Sorry, the season's over. 
or you were in seventh and you were in eighth. Sorry, the playoffs are starting and there's only eight teams in it in total. You know, like that's the place to be in. So that I find the reports of what the MLB are trying to do to be frankly insane. I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's I mean, it, I, it's I, consistent I, with how they are. <laughs> I I just think there's there's an element of like trying to plot out the long term effect of this. Which just it can't be done when there's so much that still remains unknowable that I, I I don't know. I don't know. I I think a lot of these plans are going to be put into place, thinking about you know, oh well, we've got it. We've got to get the next season right. It's like, well, we don't know that this isn't going to become something that could disrupt the next season. Like, and the the one thing with all of this is, and I, I think uh, Brian Windhorse wrote about this when the when the CBA in China, you know pushed back their start date and they weren't able to resume and I, look I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon you're then in a position where you, you there's no one to look around the world to and go they went through it they had to shut everything down they had to stop and here they are they're back players are playing it's working it's not fueling a second wave or it's not having to be stopped and started every couple of weeks because we're having mass infection amongst players like there isn't the example for that yet and Maybe I'm just a pessimist in this, but I, I think the leagues who do rush to go first on this, I don't think it's going to work well. Like, no. I mean, it, the interesting case now is the Bundesliga, the soccer league in Germany, where their players are back in training, which in its own right is a pretty major milestone that I don't think most countries in the world would be would be approving of or looking to push through. But Germany is in many ways the gold standard for, for dealing with this. Their debt rate is lower than South Korea, who were being kind of touted as that for, for a long, long time. And they are going to seemingly give it a try with their soccer league. And they're aiming to play games again, starting on the 1st of May. And maybe that works. Maybe it comes back and it works and there isn't a problem that would be encouraging, but then like, even when situations like that play out, is that just happening because, you know, this is different from in country to country and how countries are dealing with this and rate of infection and everything that's tied to it, availability of testing. Like if that comes about, is that a green light that countries around the world will be like, we're we're starting up our sports leagues. They managed to do it. Once we get to a certain point, we're doing it and it will be fine. Or will that be reflective of just say, you know, Germany can do this. I just feel like we're going to have a lot of things come back and then have to stop again. And I, I actually think that's the thing that no league can afford. That's the one where it all goes like, boom, like it's, it's irreparably broken, even financially, where if the NBA was to set everything up and all players go into camp and everything happens, we're ready, we're starting up, Ad money's back. TV partners are advertising, ready for you know the resumption of the season, and then we get one night in, and you know the next day, three players feeling well, they test positive, they're asymptomatic at the time, and you find out like <laughs> that's the that's the part of it which it's just I don't think any of these leagues in any sport can afford to be like, oh, let's go and do it. And then only to have to shut down again right away, which is like entirely possible. It's it's there. We've seen in the NBA just how quickly this thing can blow up. Like we saw that with how the, the season came to a halt 
I just don't know. I'm encouraged they're looking at options, but I just think there's a part of it that's somewhat head in the sand. They need to look at options, but if they really think they're plausible, if they really think that these are going to work out and they're not going to have any issues, I think there's another thing coming. It's it's tough because, I mean, look, in every way, I think everyone wants an indication of, oh, yeah, this is sort of the point where all this just goes back to normal and it's fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're there's there's after a certain point there's gonna be this kind of uh uh i don't know how to describe it but external we'll say like push of like everything is kind of trending downwards uh if whenever that point comes and there's also sorry to go across but there's also and i look there's plenty of people already at it it's like how much worse can it get? You know, we're doing this. It's too severe. Let's just let's just go back and see what happens. I don't think people realize just how, you know, just how catastrophically bad it could get. How much worse it could get. Particularly, it's like it's everyone talks about the toll of going through all of this once for NBA teams, for businesses, for person to person, like the financial impacts, the strain on like mental health. Imagine having to do it again because there was just a sense of let's get back to it. It's gone on too long. What can we do? We've got to try and it's like <laughs> the virus doesn't doesn't understand that, you know, we're all fed up. We all want to get back to our normal life. Yeah. There's there's that's the thing to me that I find very strange in a lot of this when we talk about things coming back or we talk about just, you know, oh we just get on with it, get back to normal. It's like, well, you know, we were doing that and we had to stop because of the virus. What has changed? You know, <laughs> what has changed? Why wouldn't that be the case again? Um, it would. So that's that's the part of it that is the great unknowable. Yeah, I mean, I re- I, we're talking about like how like next season being viewed is kind of like this, like, I don't know. Uh panacea kind of thing where it's like oh well everything's going to go back to normal next season it's like no everything that's been talked about like to finish out this year is going to apply next season because of all the vaccine problems and uh, uh, just the logistics in terms of getting one that will be widespread for everything to you know really uh, conquer all the pro- the threats of the virus elsewhere worldwide um, and it's just kind of I don't know. I just kind of find it inter- weird and interesting how things have been talked about in terms of the NBA wise, but obviously it applies to more than just the NBA because yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, we'll keep saying and we'll keep as things improve generally as the situation in terms of number of cases and deaths around the world, hopefully improves. Well, I mean the picture clears up and maybe could start to imagine oh well this can go one way or another but i mean even to point back to the bundesliga thing i mean this is not as it was not a surprise to me but i feel like the way a lot of people are talking or thinking this may be a shock to them but like their their ceo is like yeah we're gonna be back and we're gonna finish the season and we'll be on time to start next season but there is no way that we're gonna have fans at games like for the rest of this calendar year like there's just there's not going to be fans of games in 2020. Yeah. T- 
to me that's obvious. I don't, I feel yeah. like there are a lot of people who that is not obvious that they think no, you know just... November, December we're all they're not they're not going to, they're like, not going to play in, in places together. They're not going to play in Las Vegas or wherever it is if things trend upward and play in front of fans. That's that's not happening, and it's probably not going to happen for a while, unfortunately. All right, I'm sure we've uh, cheered everyone up there. So <laughs> now let's go into even more bleaker things. Free agents, and <laughs> um, we will start with guards, Jordan. And the guards, ooh, these will bring a smile to your face, people. Uh, <laughs> no, we are. This is a list Jordan has gone through. As I did, sorry, Jordan has gone through and identified players that I guess you feel are realistic for the books price range, which even. There's a part of this which is uncertain because obviously we don't know what the effect of, um, like, is the salary cap going to just plummet? Um, how deep into the tax will the books be? What kind of exceptions will they be playing with? What kind of measures may they be looking to take generally to try and reduce what could be a major tax bill? Like, all of that we just don't know. So I I feel like the safest assumption is to be that you're almost trying to just lure guys who will take a minimum yeah i mean it's actually a good year not to have a lot of salary cap space which the bucks don't have <laughs> so i mean that was all last year and uh, that helps them in terms of not having to make big free choices like i mean obviously all the decisions that they had to do last year um, that doesn't make it much better that if people like want to improve their depth and you know, they obviously have some free agents who could end up leaving, but might not. Like, it's just everything is so, again, this not just for the season. It's the off season, it's the draft. I mean, everything is really uh, hanging up in, in the air in terms of just how, where does, where does the NBA look in terms of all, <laughs> everything <laughs> that is going to be, impacted in the next six to 12 months and uh beyond that obviously too so uh in terms of free agency i mean the bucks lucked out that they don't have to make any big decisions in terms of what they could do this summer of course is another one (laughs) big decision that will impact everything yeah um i i think there's two things worth bearing in mind in this, and this is one is related to what we talked about last week, and that is if they did find themselves with multiple spots in the roster needed to be filled and guys were turning down player options or just really looking elsewhere or fetching slightly more lucrative deals than the books could offer, although that seems like the chances are slim. We're talking about players like Pat Connaughton, Sterling Brown, Kyle Korver, uh, Wesley Matthews. You know, the books may well be in the market for wings. That much is that much is a given. If they're signing free agents, there's a very good chance at least one of the players that will come in next summer will be a wing. And I would say, I mean, this might be a little tease to what we'll go through of uh, the crops of positions like. I would say there's, I mean, some interesting players. Maybe? Yeah, but everyone in the league is going to be, you know, competing for them. Well, 
conventional wisdom would say I mean, that. But... that that's, a good, that's a good spot for the Bucks to be in as one of the best teams in the league. Like, yeah. This is... I, I suppose that's the spot from which the Bucks got Corver ahead of the Lakers and Sixers and were able to land Wesley Matthews. And, and they had, a, they had so, a position need, too, with Brogdon leaving and they had a bunch of minutes. Dante was not... I mean... Sure. You know, internally, the Bucks were high on Dante. If a row opens up... If a row opens up, a lot of these guys... The books situation may be appealing. If they're not getting better money elsewhere, they'll be able to say, okay, this is a team where I have a chance to win, and there is a path to be playing. So, okay, wing is a key area here, and one that I think we'll probably pay particular attention to. I think the other one, though, it's one that when we look at the roster, and if we were to look at the roster now, and even if the season was going on, and we were looking towards the playoffs, I mean, it's no secret that guard is an area of weakness for the books. Um, they only have two true point guards. They have ways they can play around it. Like Dante has done very well when the books have needed to play him there. He's certainly a seamless fit defensively in that position. And you can uh, kind of, I guess, you could toggle between pass on one some and more. Two. Yeah. And you can pass on more responsibility in terms of initiating offense and playmaking to guys like Giannis and Chris in, in that scenario, if you need to. Uh, but you've got Bledsoe and George Hill, and that's all you've got. And who knows, like, if the season picks up and we do go through a playoff cycle, how we'll all feel about Eric Bledsoe by then. Yeah. <laughs> and George Hill having an incredible season, but he is getting older. And, I mean, this is one concern I have with the Bucks being an older roster. They are the guys who may well be worst affected. You know, maybe that's not, that's not true. I think... The older guys and the younger guys are going to be the players who will really kind of miss out the most on what's going on at the moment. Because you've got young guys, if the Bucks had kind of... If you had a couple of really talented rookies who were raw on your roster, this would be really bad news because you're not getting the chance to put in the development work with them as you'd like to and really... I guess their progression could be held up a little. Now, the books aren't in that spot, really, um, with anyone on the younger end of the roster. I think the other side, then, is older players who just, the clock is actively ticking against them. Yeah. And I guess they're getting rustier and rustier. You know? you know, the longer you're on the shelf, it's it becomes more like trying to come back from retirement, possibly, by the time they play again. Again, like, that's what it will be equivalent to. Um, there'll be not many examples that'd be like sitting a year out maybe even or just coming back in signing with someone for the playoffs that's kind of going to be the the feel of what a lot of these players are dealing with so between Bledsoe and Hill I think there's a lot of there's a lot of uncertainty in the bigger picture and I think just on a very basic level we'd all agree that another point guard for depth would be helpful so you took a look at the, some of the guard options that are available. Um, the fact that you managed to cut with four names and two of them are players <laughs> with Wisconsin herd connections does not inspire great confidence, but we have two-way player Frank Mason the third with Jalen Adams on here. And outside of that, you have Shabazz Napier. <laughs> And 
DJ Augustin. And the one thing I'll say straight off the bat is I think DJ Augustin will have to be really bored with being, you know, relatively well paid on a bad team and just desperate to be on a good team for him to be in the Bucks price range. Maybe, maybe again, depending how their whole situation plays out, depending what the cap comes in at, maybe he could be the kind of player they might be able to target and persuade with an exception. But uh, if it was down to veteran minimum deals, I think even in a tough market, he's probably going to fetch better offers than. Yeah, that's actually a good. I mean, we should point out like the Bucks at this point. I believe it was Bobby Marks. They only have a nine point eight mid level exception and three point eight million biannual exception that they could really offer at this point. And <laughs> the thing with that though is, and that, that's why I'm even shying away from that is, you know. If the cap plummets and all of a sudden they're deep in the luxury tax, uh, I'm not going to be saying they shouldn't do it. I'm not going to be worrying about the owner's money. But, you know, uh, mid-level, signing a player to a mid-level exception, a full mid-level exception, if you're deep in the tax, <laughs> yeah, that's not, a really expensive deal. Yeah, not not a, the best use of resources. <laughs> To say the least. This is about as uninspiring as it gets, though, Jordan. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's really what I want to say here. Like, I don't even have opinions. Um, the first two, I will uh, I will be... I, I was... My, that's me being blinded by herd colors. But it is beyond... I think it's also being somewhat realistic, though. Oh yeah, because I think I think they have. I mean, they're this is where the Bucks are in terms of they have two point guards that are going. You know, there's injury concerns, and both of them are not going to be available for a full eighty-two game season. But there just isn't a role for them, so you're already down to a third guard. And are you really going to spend a lot of money trying to get a DJ Augustine, who's probably the best of of players that are could be within your price range. I mean, guys like Fred Van Vliet, he's out of the, I mean, he's not even, that's a pipe dream. If you really want to overhaul it in terms of free agency, which, you know, um, is another topic, but like there, there just isn't a role for a veteran point guard to really come in here and just make an impact. And you just don't want to blow whatever resource, little limited resources you have. Hmm. I'm looking to see if there's anyone you may have missed. Like, I'm looking at right now, like, got, there's, like, guys like Emmanuel Moutier, Raul Neto. I like, I like Raul Neto, particularly if he's your third choice point guard. Like, that's what he has been, and he's pretty solid in that. I, I think there's a higher profile name whose game Were has declined. Yeah, I, I think his game has declined notably, but wouldn't be shocked if he ended up in the mix. Um, in part because of, I guess, an element of his play style, even as he slows up, his ability to get to the rim and... There, there's come a to touch Milwaukee, of, like, eight years Yeah, there's after. a touch of something so He'd come to Milwaukee all the years after the the offer sheet fiasco. Uh, he would reunite with Bud as well. Yeah. 
probably someone who we should consider here. And you know, not again, not not the player he was, but if you want to sign on a minimum deal to be your toy your third choice point guard, it's certainly better than what they have right now. You know, yeah. you if the under current roster, if you're like, okay, well, if Bledsoe or Hill gets injured, you've got to play Teague some minutes. You'd go, okay, I guess. Like having that option is better than not having that option. But yeah, looking beyond that, uh, <laughs> it's it's really tough. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Delhi's gonna be a free agent again. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's, Brandon it's guys Knight. like Delhi, Reggie Jackson. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Mike Carter Williams. There's a whole bunch of former Bucks point guards that you could go after if you really wanted to. Do you think it's time to bring Brandon Knight or MCW back? Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying that. I'm just... <laughs> I'd certainly rather Delhi back. I'm still at the point where I would prefer Delhi to either of those two. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, Rajon Rondo. <laughs> he's got a player option. I don't think he's opting out. Um, yeah, it's really grim. I, I think Teague is definitely worth a mention. Raul Nato, I'd be somewhat interested in has he played at all in Philly? i was gonna i mean that was what i was gonna say is oh he has played 49 games 11.5 minutes so like 565 minutes shot 39.4 percent from three. shot well yeah that's not bad maybe i did overlook yeah it. count count me in i mean nothing but netto there we go career 38 percent shooter from deep Nearly a two to one career assist to turnover ratio. Feels like maybe, maybe too good to get on a minimum deal, but I don't mm. think he's getting anything more than that. I mean, he's only played his minutes like the last like four years, almost just past what he played the the most minutes he played in his rookie season, yeah. right? So I I doubt that he gets more than a minimum. Part of that, though, is he's been on good teams. True. Like, he's been on serious playoff teams. I mean, he could easily play that same kind of role with the Bucks. I, I definitely think he should he should make that mix. But um, outside of Augustine, who uh, the Bucks aren't getting without, you know, parting with at least a significant chunk of their mid-level exception, which could be exponentially more expensive because of the tax... There's not a whole lot to inspire me here. I mean, someone like Frank Mason the Third could be the logical option. Yeah, I I mean I I I I don't think it's if they if they get a third guard, uh, save for not going through the draft. If they get it through free agency or whatever, I think it's gonna be a very kind of you know fifteenth man type guy where maybe they look internally like a Mason or Adams, but like that just really isn't a role. And this is the thing, the challenge of trying to maintain their depth or like even venture through for agencies that like seven of their, their top eight guys are going to be are under contract and it kind of is all over the board and or all over the map in terms of their, 
they play, they fill all five positions on the floor. And then you just kind of like try to fi- figure out who's staying with the free agents they do have. And I just, there isn't many openings in the, the Bucks depth chart on paper that they can really offer to anyone of worthwhile in many positions. This is what happens to all good teams. This is how generally good teams fall apart is they yep. get to a point where you're not just looking at your, say, your third choice point guard as we are now, but you're saying, okay, this is our backup point guard. This is someone who maybe our sixth man. Like the books are technically just a year away from that, potentially, anyway. Um, a year further out where they're like, oh, we've no money and we need to replace George Hill. <laughs> that's That's how these things play out. And really this points to... For all of the, we got to make the move now. We got to do this. We got to do that to put ourselves in position now, so we can, you know, keep honest and plan for something long term. If you trade away your draft picks, you eventually, you know, you're just you're, you're setting in stone your day of reckoning. Yeah. You know, it's coming. There's no way of avoiding it. And I think that's the thing when you look at this guard crop, um, and when you think of, you know. Hill's age, Hill's contract situation go forward, the Bucks need to get a point guard to the draft. They need to use that pick, they need to pick up a point guard, they need to pick up the right point guard, and they need to develop them. Um, and really, I think they just need to... I, I think we are at a point, um, let's assume, which is a big assumption, but I think a nice one, that Giannis will sign a Supermax the books will remain one of the very best teams in the league, but I think they're going to need to keep hitting on project players like Christian Wood and Dragon Bender, but they're actually going to have to keep those guys. Yeah, that's, You know, uh... when, when they get someone who shows a little bit of something and something nice, you're going to have to keep it. And maybe you're going to go through a tough few months because at one spot in your rotation, you're going to have to try something different because you could do a depth somewhere else, but you've sacrificed that to keep someone who's showing more potential that could have more value to you in the long run. I think that is the point when it's like trying to find value depth and ensure that you could fill out your roster around the the fringes. That's already becoming more important than ever for the books. So for me, when we look at this crop of guards, uh, what it says to me is, yeah, they need to draft a point guard. Okay, moving on. Your second category is... I'm I'm gonna group your two categories and just call them wings because you have wings slash two guards and wings slash forwards. I get your reasoning for that, but let's just put them all together and call them wings. And as you flagged up early, I mean, if this is the spot where the books are looking for players, there are at least some nice, solid, capable role players who you can reasonably expect to be available around the price range that the books are going to be dealing in. Mm-hmm. So names you have here: Justin Holiday. Langston Galloway, Kent Bazemore, Damian Dotson, Bryn Forbes, Glenn Robinson III, Mo Harkos. Are there any of these that you feel are, you know, realistically just out of price range? I'm not sure... I would say, I mean, obviously probably the biggest name of the bunch, if we really want to call it that, is Bazemore. 
but he's How not... good do you think Baysmore is now? I was just about to... I mean, he really... There was a reason why Portland trail, or the, traded him to Sacramento. I mean, their depth was just pretty horrid throughout most of the season. And he kind of kicked on with them before the season stopped, or whatever you want to call it. I'll just say stopped. Um, and... I just, I mean, for what the Bucks, if you're really, if he was more of like a depth guy in terms of, say if he was like the Wesley Matthews of of their offseason, I don't think, I, I think a lot of people would be like, oh, like at least with West, you could say like, okay, he could shoot the ball pretty well. Baysmore struggles with his shot. He's, I mean, if West is streaky, I don't know how you'd classify Baysmore. <laughs> um Defensively, he has some versatility, but it's just not always there with him. I, if, I mean, you know what Bays is as as someone who had a two year experience of watching Kent Bazemore says so he'd be on my team. Um, quite liking him during that spell and thinking he is a useful player. He can do good things. He's Pat Connaughton. That's he's mm. Pat Connaughton in terms of, um. A lot of the good things he can do, he's a good rebounder, he's good off the ball, um, he's very athletic, brings really good energy. You'd think he's a much better shooter than he is. <laughs> and you'll kind of consistently scratch your head about why more of those shots aren't going down. Like, good player, and someone who, I mean, Bud and even some coaches who are still in the books staff now, like, they made Bazemore's career. Yeah, in oh, yeah. Atlanta. So I mean, they... he he is possibly a guy who would be very eager to go and join the books. And I believe weren't they tied to Bazemore? The Bucks were tied to Bazemore. There, there was some there was some reported interest. Yeah, rumblings. I mean, he shot thirty four percent from three this year. The year before, thirty two percent in his final year with Atlanta. Um. Yeah, it's not inspiring, but for, I mean, I don't think anybody is going to use a full mid-level on Ken Bazemore at 31 years old. No, I think he is really a minimum guy now for a good team. He might find some team that isn't quite as good who give him a little bit more, but I I think... And he's he's had a good contract. He's got paid well, and hopefully he's... Uh, being wise at his money and he does have a little bit of freedom to say okay well maybe let's take a flyer and you know if i have a really good year on a good team well then could be in line for a bigger deal again the next year i'm not entirely opposed to it but i do think he's a player who's come up for years of books fans like going back to kids reign of like oh Kent baysmore that's what they need they need baysmore i i think the thing that I'd say books fans need to know going in is, you know, think Pat Connaughton, think, yeah. think of the good of Connaughton, but also think of the the kind of frustrations that are there or the things that stop him from being um, a much more consistent, much more impactful player who's a bigger part of the team overall. Like if, if Pat could shoot 38% from deep consistently, Pat Connaughton would make a hell of a lot of money in the NBA and he would be a big part of the books plans going forward. You know, look at how solid he can be defensively, comfort with the ball ability to rebound like he's not great at any of those things but he is good and capable in all departments yep that has value if you've got one signature skill you can put above all else 
and particularly on a team like the Bucks, who's had shooting. He doesn't have that base. More is very much the same kind of, same kind of situation, same kind of player in that regard. Um, Dotson is the guy who has been linked with them already for the summer. Yeah, that, that, interest. Yeah. Uh, Mark Berman of the New York Post, if I remember correctly. You're correct. Interesting game. In part because I think it's tough not to feel he hasn't been fully utilized and is now just getting ignored in New York with the Knicks when they don't really have anything better. So it doesn't make much sense that that's the case. But I mean, I, I think something similar to what's happened in spells with Frank N- Nilakina is happening with him. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certainly evidence of good production. There's certainly evidence of ability and ability to contribute maybe even more on a good team with like coherent coaching and front office decision making. I don't know though. I don't know. There are not just kind of minor off the court question marks here. There are major off the court question marks. Um, He was accused in a sexual assault case back when he's at the University of Oregon. Um, I think the reporting, the way it has been framed since then, charges um, charges are ultimately dropped because of lack of evidence, but the official verdict was, like, let's make no mistake, it's clear from the detail, this happened. Mm-hmm. Now, it's it's been framed as something entirely out of character that was said by coaches at the time and has certainly been said by coaches since then who kind of speak up as character, who speak up as a guy who will put his head down, work hard, learn. Um, but just any kind of any kind of lingering concern like that in a player's history just seems like a major red flag for the books because they haven't been in the business of taking on those kind of players for a while now, certainly since Horst came in. Yeah, I mean, I think the only player that I can think of that had very significant red flags was DeAndre Liggins. Yes. And that took a lot of years. I mean, his basketball career has been shaped by what he did. And he's bounced around everywhere, and it took a lot of years for him to really get back into the NBA. Um, Yeah, that's the only one that I can really think of that had some... Uh, some major character red flags. Uh. Yeah, that's the most recent. I mean, to go back to, I mean, just anything and very different things to what we're talking about, really in either of those cases, but you're going back to, uh, you're going back to a, like early stages of Yana's career where the books are very different and you're, you're dealing with different realities and different options anyway. I think there's multiple players we could pick out that you, you could say, okay, well, if not the same kind of concerns, you'd at least say, well, what will their influence in the locker room be? But we're, uh, I think, at least three to four years removed from any of those kind of figures being a part of the books. Yeah, And even in Ligon's case, I mean, ultimately short-lived, um, even more so than I guess it initially seemed it would be. So that probably speaks to something in its own right. Dotson is intriguing. I, I think he'll be there at that price range. I think they'd have competition, but again, with their 
development pedigree of of this coaching staff and with the position the books are in would stand a good chance if they really were kind of interested Justin Holiday. I'll be honest, I'm kind of out on Justin Holiday. I'm not sure I was ever fully in, but I feel he's the player who comes up every year in this. Our free, he's part of our free agent greatest hits. I think part of the reason that like he comes up every year because he he's can only get one year deals. <laughs> um, but there's also like I don't know what he does well enough to make you do it. Everyone's like, "Oh, let's get him. He he can shoot. He can shoot." This and is the first first year. Really. I mean, he having a better season. Yeah, yeah, he's having his best shooting season by far. That's not even comparable to what he did elsewhere. Um, and maybe that's a sign of playing with a good team with structured roles, all that stuff. I mean, paces were thirty nine twenty six. Uh, at the... That's true. Uh, I'm actually, you know, maybe I'm being unfair because I'm looking at the teams he's played for in his whole career. Yeah. Stay for the Warriors. Warriors is the only good one, I think. And and Atlanta, but they. Well, they... yeah, we're getting to the. He was just in a little late. Yeah. Yeah, there there hasn't been, pretty much, you know, th- th- what he's doing this year isn't comparable to anything else that he's done. And, yeah, I mean, I, again, this is kind of like the Tony Snell type guy that I would say, like, you could depend on him for shooting threes. And, obviously, there is some ties with him and Bud and the coaching staff, even if it was 22 games with the Hawks. like they I think that, that one's tenuous, though. I don't yeah. know how much either would feel like, oh, that went great. We both really rate each other highly. Let's run that one back. Like, compared to, say, where we brought it up with Bayes and Jeff Teague, like, there's no real comparison on that front. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. If I don't, I don't actually, I don't know the details, but I don't know, I don't know if Holiday would necessarily feel all that positive about how his experience worked out last time. Who did they trade him for? Oh... I'm looking at it now. Is a three-team trade with the Jazz? Did they get someone from Utah? It was to clear space for someone. Here, let me go through transactions. I wrote an article at the time about this, and that's why it's annoying me. I think they... um. Oh, they got Heinrich. I think they also spent... They, he was waived. It was to clear a roster spot for someone. They uh, traded. Shelton Mac- Mack was sent out in the two. Yes, Mack was to Utah. Heinrich was to Atlanta, and then. Uh... It's not going to come to you. It was a. It was a decent player they were bringing in, maybe buyout-ish market and they needed to clear some space and that was a deal they came to if memory serves me correctly I definitely wrote an article about it and I can't remember uh, no it's not coming to me um, Bryn Forbes is the other in the kind of smaller side of this you had Bryn Forbes is a player that I I have a tough time getting a handle on. I don't think I'm alone. I think the Spurs might feel the same way somewhat. 
Although his shooting overall for his career has been very good, and he's not afraid to shoot. Um, he last three seasons, thirty nine percent from deep, then forty two point six percent on five attempts per game last year, thirty eight point eight percent on six this year. Like very very good numbers. Mm-hmm. This is someone who's a sneaky candidate to get a little bit more. If there's a team that buys in, now he is almost 27. Yeah, I'd draft a guy that kind of rose through the ranks. I think he was, he, he's been a Spurs product through like their G League team and then obviously up to where he is now. Defensively, what do you think for the books? That's, I mean, he's 6'2". He's, he's small. He's like, very Maybe small. this is... Maybe this is, if you bring him in, this is your third-choice point guard, and you're looking again at options like you do with Dante, where um, you have someone else maybe do some of the playmaking, but you say, okay, well... Like, because I think when he's on the floor, you're going to have him guarding the smallest player. Yeah, he's not... I, anyway, because he, he is small. Yeah, there's... I, I doubt that he's what the Bucks would want defensively. <laughs> but, I mean, if he can affect the game the way he does with his shooting that's obviously a valuable skill that will keep him around for a while i think it too yeah part of the question too though i wonder what you think like you can't have it all when you're talking about the kind of guys we're talking about and we're talking about veteran minimums so let's say they felt more comfortable with a justin holiday's defense even if his shooting has traditionally been inconsistent do you think i think i know the answers already but they probably would lean more towards the guy they can rely on defensively than the guy they know can shoot, right? Oh, yeah. I, I think that would be the case. The other name here is Langston Galloway, who's been a favorite of ours for a long time. Um, and I just think he is actually a really good player who maybe even when he signed some deals, look, he's, um, he's earned a little bit of money. And I think based on how he came into the league and his start... You can't blame him for making some of the moves he has, but I think he is a player who could have been better served on better teams. Um, Like, his deal with, was it the Pistons who he signed? Yeah, th- it was like a three-year 20. Yeah, it was. It, it wasn't tr- he wasn't traded on that deal. So it was, it was with the Pistons he signed that deal. Like, he got well paid for that deal. That's a pretty good deal. At the same time, would he be better served being on a good team for the last three years and being pretty capable contributor? He is having a really good three-point shooting year, and that's an element of his game that's always been the question mark. He, again, is someone who you could count as, I think, you know, if you got him, you could say, okay, well, he's going to place a point. I, I think that's one of the elements. He is a not just a competent ball handler, he's actually pretty comfortable in that regard when at times he's been asked to do it that was certainly something that was very apparent when he first broke into the league with the Knicks he was asked to do a lot more of that and did it quite well so maybe still has it in him to do that if needed he has the he posted the two lowest turnover percentage figures the last two seasons so that well, that's is, a big plus that is very big he, plus. I mean not not a lot with that that you could kind of complain about, and certainly with the way the books play, I think they'd be quite happy on that front. Um, if we pivot on over into some of the slightly bigger guys, 
Mo Harkless, I think a favourite of mine for going back a long time, who at this point, we've, we're probably past the tipping point on Mo Harkless as a really useful NBA player. Um, I think his days in Portland coming to an end has somewhat signaled a shift and th- how things worked out. He seemed like he should be a great fit, a, an almost perfect fit for the Clippers in some ways, and I thought that was a pretty good pickup. He played relatively well there, um, but it, it never felt like it was something they were interested in keeping going longer term, and then he was moved as part of the Marcus Morris trade. So he is now with the Knicks, where, um, like a lot of players, and unsurprisingly, I guess, his numbers have plummeted since arriving in New York. I don't know. I, I don't know at this point. He is younger than probably most people realize. He's just set to turn 27. I'm not entirely sure just how much he has left, though. Yeah, I, I think he's... It feels like he's he's really kind of gradually trended down in his career over the last few years. Yeah, he's like a like a replacement level wing. Basically. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely the kind of spot he's he's now landed in. And I don't know, he does trend more to the kind of four spot in the tree as well. So I'm not entirely sure if that's really where the books need to go. Obviously, we don't know what happens with Ursan in the summer as well. When we talked about that last week, and maybe that feeds into just what kind of decision the books ultimately make but probably not the ideal the other player you noted here was uh, Glenn Robinson the third someone who again just seems like oh you know this is a guy who's ready to come on and be a lot better you know be a lot better than he really is kind of latch on somewhere and be really successful um hasn't really gone that way from obviously he was one of the the big acquisitions the Sixers made which you know trademark Sixers fashion where we're like okay um what is this really going to do and it had kind of panned out that way didn't shoot the ball very well in his first 12 games with the Sixers do you have any real fate in what Glenn Robinson has still? He is someone who you've kind of coveted for quite some time. Yeah, this is my Mo Harkless, maybe. I, w- <laughs> I would say. I think, I mean, obviously what he's shot this year. Again, I would venture to guess a career. No, it's not. It's not at all. But uh, <laughs> that's a plus. Um, I would figure to, I mean, I th- probably... I. Trying to remember what offseason it might have been again another like oh this guy's interesting then he goes to the the Pistons and you know <laughs> doesn't have a good t- or stint with them and then kind of has to reclaim his value. Um, I would think he at this point I think he's a more interesting player for the Bucks. I mean, obviously it depends on just how like how. M- much of his shooting is real because, you know, he can have a good year like the one he has this year, but that's also because of the role that he had with the Warriors and then going to Philadelphia is obviously a big change. And he really talked about that in that one interview. I can't remember what 
Sino was, but he was just like flamed. What like, what is what is my role here? What is the point that I I have with the Sixers? Which was just like, oh, this is even more beautiful. Um, uh, but yeah, I think I don't know. I have small dog, small pup, colored glasses. I guess he's not much of a pup anymore, though. No, it's part of the problem here. Um, yeah, I'm not entirely convinced. If we look at the bigs, you have three bigs listed here. Um, excluding one player you listed because you mentioned too rich, most likely, and I think that's an understatement. That player being Davis Bertans, I don't think Davis Bertans is going to sign on a minimum deal this summer. Might be one of the few players who gets paid. I'm not saying I think that's necessarily the right thing, but I just think his reputation seems to have soared to a point where that will happen. Oh, yeah. For bigs, you have Harry Jaws, Noah Vonley, Myers Leonard. I like all three of these guys, I, particularly the first two I really like. Is this really the route the books are going to be looking to go, though? I think that's that's the question. How important are bigs going to be this summer? Yeah, I mean, obviously contingent on what happens with Rolo, and those guys are probably more uh, adequate to backup center a backup center role in the league rather than be like a third center and maybe you play every once every four nights or whatever five games whatever um yeah i i don't i i do think they're all too good to basically rack up dmps for most of the season agreed i would say the only i think giles and leonard are vonley's an interesting one in the fact that I thought he was an interesting signing for the Wolves and he just hasn't played. Uh, I think that's a reflection on the Wolves' weird season, though. I w- Oh, no, I would definitely agree with that. I thought he he actually was one of the few interesting players from the Knicks' 18-19 season. And he actually even guarded Giannis pretty well from those days, I remember. Um, He's with the Nuggets now, right? But, oh, that's right. He got traded. Yeah, and that weird trade. Um, but I, I like I don't think either of those situations are ideal for either because I mean both of those teams superstars are their centers so I mean of course he's going to be down the pecking order but it's like the spots where there are fewest minutes available at all yeah uh, he was great with the Knicks I, I, I do like him I think yeah, there's he... a lot to like about defensively um, a lot to like about how he rebounds. He killed the books last season. He had some good shooting um, nights too. I mean, thirty three point six percent. But yeah, I I just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, if you can get him, you get him, and it's not if he's happy to. That's his role, and that's the price he's getting. No harm in getting him from the books' perspective, but I don't think it makes sense for him. Uh, overall, this is not very inspiring. I think there are no. wing options there that they could fill out, but I think last week when we were talking about, you know, a lot of these players might come back and the books may want them to do that. I think this really kind of feeds into that. The books will probably be pretty happy to just run this back as much as possible. Yeah. Couple might leave. Maybe you bring one or two in. Um, one via the draft, of course, and go from there. But I, I don't really 
looking at this list, they're not going to be uh, rooting for a whole lot of the decisions that are coming up for players this summer to be that they're going to leave. I think they quite happily bring most of them back. Uh, okay, the mailbag. Not exactly jam-packed, somewhat understandably, but we do have a few mailbag questions. The first from at MKE Robert. I feel like we might be headed towards no playoffs. Do you think that's the most likely scenario, or is there still better than a 50% chance there's some closure to the season? I mean, uh, this feeds back to what we uh, what we discussed from the off, and for me, that's, you know... I just don't know why no playoffs would be the answer. Like, I don't know what period of time passes where you're just like, oh, forget about that, we start the new season. Like, this season is nearly over. You're nearly at the playoffs. And whenever they come back, starting with playoffs is going to get you much more eyes, much more revenue, which will be desperately needed, as opposed to, oh, we've got a... <laughs> We've got 10 months to go through before we get to the playoffs sort of thing. You know, it's... In total, it, it to have been a two-year spell without playoff games, is that actually, like, feasible for the NBA from a revenue perspective? Like, to, to have played... To have teams play... What could be 160-ish games, or upwards of 150 anyway, regular season between anyone playing in the playoffs... I think the playoffs need to happen. I just I I can't wrap my head around why it would happen another way, but I think we're a long way away from it happening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As always, your insight is invaluable. Exa- thank you. Thank you. Um I I just don't know. I really don't know. There's no, I can't. There's no right answer. Like I can't, I can't make too much fun of you for it. There's no, there's no right answer. I wish we knew, but we don't. And um, from all about Luig, is it better select a wing or a point guard in the 2020 draft? Um, I think point guard, based on even what we've just gone through, because if the books need wings, that's where they can get some in free agency. There aren't point guards, and point guard is just going to be your more pressing position going forward. It's the most high-profile player in the roster you're uncertain about is a point guard. Um, his backup is a point guard. He's getting older. His contract will become an issue. And then you've no, no one behind that. So it's point guard. I think they've got to prioritize that position. Yeah, I, I think, you know, in terms of the Bucks, we're talking about through free and stuff like that, but, like, George Hill's his final year is guaranteed and next season is going to be that, that year where, you know, that could be his last season with the bucks. If he holds up, if he plays well, all that stuff, like it could easily be kind of, they opt not to guarantee his contract and then restructure a new deal, that kind of thing, which what they did last summer. But I mean, that comes up pretty quick. That's how contracts work or, you know, with how the season's going, it just, everything moves really quickly in terms of, it feels like, oh my gosh, three years, but like it moves pretty quickly at that point. And then obviously you touched on the Bledsoe questions and just, you know, what happens if the Bucks see another Bledsoe playoff failure? Do they kind of like, okay, we see enough and get, you know, 50 cents on the dollar or something? 
I don't know. I, I just think they'd do something drastic if that happened again. They'd have to. I mean, if that happened again and Yana said, yeah, I'll stay, I mean, as much as I guess he's grown close to Bledsoe and the whole team have and they like him, I think organizationally, like, you'd have to be seen to be doing something about that at that point. Like, it just, it, it would be madness to keep doing it and expect something different. Um, from at MK Robert, how long after the all clear signal is given would you actually attend a sporting event? Do you think it's fair for teams to hold fans to season ticket commitments that were made before the pandemic? Do you think they would ever offer the option to opt out? Uh, I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about this honestly more in the context of movies and going to the cinema because that's something that I normally do like. <laughs> five times a week um and i'm not gonna be any rush to do that in spite of just how much i love that and if movies come back that will be quite hard but i'm just not gonna be in a real rush and there's nothing different about a a sporting event i think realistically there shouldn't be fans and i don't think any organization who's really putting the fans first would be playing events with fans anytime soon, really, until there's a vaccine. Um, as for the season ticket element of it, like again, that option should just be taken out of the hands of everyone because if the decision is fans can't be there, well, then that will have to be looked into. If it is a situation though where there are games with fans, where leagues are decided to do that, and whatever government locally, nationally is saying that's okay. I can't see any opt-out option because whether they should or shouldn't, teams will be desperate for that revenue. And yeah. in some cases, I don't know, they may need that revenue. Um, I, The ethics of it is a different question where I would say, yeah, I think everyone should have the option to right now and for the next whatever say, well, would you like your money back rather than feeling like you're going to have to go to sporting events with lots of people? Um. I think ethically that would be the right thing to do, but I, I don't know if financially that will be feasible for teams and whether they'll go that route. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on the attending a sporting event? I mean, you were you were going to be at the not the books, what would have been the books last game, but the home game after that, right? Was the plan before all this stuff? Yeah, it was gonna be against the Heat. It was the Monday. Because I remember, I remember asking you, like, "Are you sure? You're still, you're still planning on going?" You're like, "Yeah, that's the plan at the moment." When it picks up, how would you feel about going to an arena full of people? <laughs> well, people usually have a. <laughs> I was gonna do a joke. Uh, it's not your favorite environment, anyway, an arena full of people. Uh, yeah, I mean, people when they see it, like. Ugh. But anyway, um, do they do they change the seats in terms of trying to get like bubbles, like people wrapped in bubble, bubble boy, Jake Gyllenhaal? Gotta wrap it back around. Second, second time you've referenced. It was a. Oh, it's boy. a movie that is, oddly saw the future. I guess. Um, uh, I don't know. I. I don't know how everything, how this whole thing will affect. Uh, I mean, Dr. Fauci, uh, former basketball player himself, a legend of the New York Circuit Courts, what is called cage basketball, which always makes me laugh. Um, he said he can't shake hands anymore. And you know what, Dr. Fauci? I agree with your opinion. <laughs> oh, um, 
Uh, is it Fauci? I don't know. Anyway, Fauci. Fauci. It's Fauci. Fauci? Yeah. But it's spelled F A. I assume it's Fauci. F A U C I. Yeah, that's Fauci to me. Fauci. It's not Fauci, is it? Yeah. Let's look it up. It's not Fauci. I mean, I would have thought you'd actually know this. I he's. Not a, I didn't even know this guy existed. In my... Existed until two months I know, ago. but now you certainly. The last two months, you've seen a lot of him. You've seen more of him than you've seen probably, probably most of your friends or family. Person of the year based on <laughs> everything that's going on. Um, yeah, I don't really know. I have no idea how this will affect. It's it's Fauci. It's it's one hundred percent Fauci. Fauci. But anyway, uh, it's definitely Fauci. Yeah. I feel like I could do an impression of him because he has a very. He, I don't know if that's now's the time. Well, I we need something. I did a Brett Brown one. And it's not that far off. I, okay, let's hear it. <laughs> well, I I had to work on it. I had to. Okay, so next episode, I'll bring up my Anthony Fauci. I mean, he's he's been guesting on all sorts of basketball stuff, so he's going to appear true. here. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really have no idea how this will affect me. As far as I, I, I really have no answer. To you that personally, you. though. So if if they said next week, let's take out the fact that you would be extra skeptical if next week someone said everything's okay, everyone go back to normal. But if it was okay next week, if if the numbers of cases and deaths and everything had gone down to a point where you felt like, yeah, okay, this looks slightly less scary at least. And the books are playing in front of fans. Would you go? Would you be? Would you be in the first week or so? Would you be? Um, my general thing with this is when I have a rule. I, my okay. You never want to be first. I. This is this is how I feel about this. Yeah. This is honestly this more generally. For example, in lots of countries in Europe, we're now at a point where. Um, there are plenty of countries that their curves are looking pretty good. Their cases are going down and they're at the point where they are going to ease up their lockdown restrictions and try to open things back up. And I really hope that goes well for them. I like really, really hope that would be good news for everyone. But I am also in a position where I'm kind of going, I'm glad I'm, I'm not in that country. I'm, I'm perfectly happy to see how it works somewhere else first. Rather than just being like, oh, yeah, I think we've decided it's back to normal and we will be the, you know, the test dummies for this. I don't know. I think even even at a point where it's the quote unquote all clear is given, I might be like, let's just let's just give it a couple of yeah. weeks before resuming normal service completely. And let's see, you know, in that two week incubation uh, kind of period that we used to how everything is looking when that passes. I, even then, I think I, if I were, to, I mean, it's not just a sporting event, but like in a, you know, go to a restaurant, a movie theater, yeah, or whatever. Anything. Yeah. I would probably do like something like something outrageous that would make people go away from me and like, oh, I have my space. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, there's. Uh, I I live outside the city, and for example, when I go to see movies all the time, I go into the center of Dublin, and multiple multiple uh, movie theaters that I go to. Um, but I, I would get the bus into the city and you get the bus and you, someone's going to come and sit beside me. It's like, <laughs> you know, that's before I even get to the theater. Do I want that? Is that something I'm signing up for? Yeah. Like, there's just, there's a lot of, 
as you said, a restaurant. You know, if I go, oh, I'm going to go get something to eat, and then you go How does, like, queue, like... And, and all of a sudden, you know, queuing is a really interesting one because now there's like the idea of okay, yeah, we're queuing and there's two meters of social distancing. At the point when this is just oh, things are okay again, like. So are people just going to start queuing as they used to, which is putting you like right on top of everyone? I'm not. I'm not into that right away. You know, no. let's let's wait until we're all vaccinated. There's a lot of that that's just kind of. So I mean, I we don't have a clear answer on that, but I don't think either of us are. You know, I'm I'm incredibly the thing that I've thought about a lot is, uh, I would really like to be there when the Irish international soccer team have their first home game after all of this is done like I, I just that's that's something for me that i'm like i want to be there i think that will be a cool moment i think the energy the atmosphere will be better than ever there'll be something special about that but if that was like three days after back to normal was on i'd probably give it a miss like i think we all want to get back to sports but i don't think you know rushing into oh let's all get back in arenas is something that really anyone in their right mind is going to be over the year to do. Yeah. From an MK Robert again, how fraudulent are the Celtic Sixers and Raptors? They're all incredibly fraudulent. All of them. <laughs> I've said it for years about all of them, at one point or another. And I'll say it again right now, less based on belief, more based on the fact that I may never be, you know, proven wrong on it in the case of this season. So I could just call them all fraudulent and, you know, We'll never know. Um, I was going to make a joke and I already forgot it. It wasn't good then, was it? Probably not. From at MK Robert again, how bad are you both needing a haircut at the moment? We we used to record our podcasts by video. We haven't for quite some time. So I have no idea to the answer to this question. Jordan, do you need a haircut right now? Um, It's getting longer. But, uh... I got it pretty, not long, or not long before all this, <sighs> I don't want to say hysteria, because that doesn't make it, that makes it sound like. Yeah, it's it's legitimate, that's, yeah. yeah it's, um, I, I hadn't, so very early on, I was at my wit's end, but I found unopened in my home, didn't know I had it, I was, I was trawling the internet trying to find the hair clippers. Sold out everywhere. Couldn't get them. Started to lose my mind. And then I found in my home, there was like a set with like a professional scissors, a comb, the scissors. hair clippers. You know, this is this is good. So I, I did it myself. A little bit of help. It worked out great. Worked out great. It's It turns out it's, I've seen lots of pictures of people not doing a very good job. It's really easy if you're patient. If you uh, like go find like a good YouTube tutorial where like a barber actually basically talks through not just this is how you cut hair but this is how you don't make a mess of this if you're doing it yourself you do it set some time aside worked really well um I'll probably go for a second cut again soon and yeah it, it feels really good feels really good when it happens and you're like oh that worked well that's one thing but also just by the nature of all of this it uh, filled up like about an hour in a day. It was a big event, you know, a lot of excitement. It's probably the highlight of the last month. <laughs> probably the highlight of my last month. Hmm. So, 
I'd recommend that if if anyone has a clippers, has a good a hand-eye coordination. I, look, I I think it's actually pretty simple. I'm like I, I don't I didn't just turn it fine. It actually turned out pretty good. I was like, yeah, this is this isn't a problem. I could go outside if we were in normal circumstances, and no one would know any different. If anyone wants tips, if anyone wants links to uh, YouTube videos that are actually good, feel free to reach out to me. I'll send them your way. Uh, <laughs> Because it's it's good. It's and I know it's the sort of thing that would have literally some people I don't know, maybe your hair maybe your hair would like could your hair grow long where it just like it grows? Where that's like it's just like your hair is long? Maybe this sounds completely <laughs> insane if it does. My hair, right? If my hair would just like grow up and out and it's you know, it wouldn't just grow. It's not like Oh, I'm not gonna get a cut for six months, and all of a sudden I've got nice hair down past my shoulder, and it's just like, a, it's like a style choice that I've made. Do you know what I mean? Uh, no. Like, okay. Yeah. No, I got you. I have. Would Would your hair? Could you just deal with it, and it'd be like, oh, you know, actually, this works. It's fine. This is something different, or would it be a problem? I haven't had my hair long in a long time. I think. Uh, your hair, I think, could grow out from memory, from what I've, from seeing your hair before, Jordan. Seeing it, <laughs> not long, a little bit long. I think maybe you get away with it. It, it doesn't work for me though. So when yeah, it gets long, it's a, it's a problem. Yeah, mine, I get like, like the seventies look where it's like flopping out, like at the sides, so it looks like a, I don't know. Um, yeah, but that's I haven't I haven't had it since I was like high school. Post high school, so you so you did once have like long hair. I had long hair, but it, not like like, I, like how long? But mine only goes to a certain point too, where it's like it's not like long, like ponytail long. It's like it covers like my whole head, and then it doesn't go that long down beyond my shoulders. Right. Okay. Like See, I I think if your hair doesn't grow in a way where it would grow down, I think it, then you need to, you're gonna need to cut it. Yeah, that's that's for me. You're gonna feel like you want to cut it. If you if you're the sort of person who would just have hair like grow as in as long, I don't know. My hair doesn't grow that way, so I don't know what that's like. But maybe you could just do that and then just deal with it when you come out the other side of this. But my recommendation is, if you can cut your hair, cut your hair. It's just hair, and it gives you something to do. And we all need stuff to do right now. Uh, from books and for life. Hopefully, this doesn't happen. But if the season is cancelled, is there any chance the books just get named NBA champ since they have the best record? No, and maybe there is a chance, but I would say it's very close to zero. And I certainly would hope that doesn't happen. I did write about something somewhat related to this today, and it's something that Mark Stein of the New York Times touched on his newsletter yesterday, and that is the the idea of the winner if there is a winner, if the season resumes and it's shortened in any way, or whoever this year's NBA champion being, being someone who will have an asterisk beside their name. And on the one hand, I think that would suck for the books after how long they've waited and all of the, I guess, suffering in a basketball context they've gone through over the last 50 years, if they were to finally have that and that was to be the case. And then the other part of I thought about is this of all seasons would be one that is actually special to win. If when this resumes, 
if there was a point where this resumes and, you know, fans could be in a building or celebrations could be had, there would be a special meaning to coming out of the other side of this and as a fan base getting to celebrate like an ultimate success too. I also think they're so far into the season though that it, it I don't know, I I wouldn't quite feel like it should face up to some of the questions historically it might, but that is another part of this I guess that we don't really think about is that if it was to resume, if it was to be shortened in any way and the books were to win it, um, we'd be dealing with the the kind of usual stuff that follows the books around, but it would be carrying on after it had even won a title. <laughs> yeah. Can, I mean, this this would answer the philosophical question of our lifetimes. Can a team win a championship and not have a championship parade? I don't know. I don't know. Can a, it's, can a tree fall it's, in the it's forest? Very, it's very possible. It's very possible. Um based on based on the current outlook i would say it's likely if not even just very possible. can a tree fall the forest without making a sound who knows i can you win a championship without a championship parade? <laughs> uh, if if the season finishes it's not impossible that whoever wins a championship could go win another next year and they're having a parade it's essentially a parade for two, two championships by the point people are like gathering in crowds again T for two, title for two. I don't know. From at Strand1052, in books history, who do you think is better? Michael Rad or Chris Middleton? Middleton. I go Middleton too. Uh, the reason for that being their situations are dramatically different. And I think Middleton in red spot he could probably come... Maybe he doesn't quite match what Red did in on those kind of teams with that kind of role, but I think he could come somewhat close. I don't know if he'd fit as well, though, playing alongside Giannis and kind of slotting into more of a secondary role. I don't know. I, I like Red a lot, but I think Red is an interesting player in a category of someone who... Natural scorer, um, a really, really good player, but very clearly not good enough to bring you anywhere as your best player and I think with some elements of his playing style that aren't necessarily suited to being anything other than a first option too yeah that, I mean out of all it would be helpful if the books made competent decisions during his time yeah, so that's he could have like, of... definitive answers to that out of all like Bucks players of notes he had the shortest draw of any of them in just the era that he played in. Um, and I think you're, I, I, the thing about who knows if red could have been a Middleton type in terms of like, not just being a scorer, but like a cable ball handler. Like he just had a, he had to score for the bucks because there was no other option, like even capable of, of taking on such a role for bad bucks teams. Um, I, I, it's, it's tough to, and obviously at this point, Milton's kind of, uh, run is kind of hitting probably the peak of red. I, I know he only played like 11 years, but like his last two, three years are derailed by injury. And then 
his rookie season was basically nothing. He didn't play. So they basically have the same amount of longevity. Middleton can, is arguably the better shooter of, of, of the two um, in terms of just kind of consistency. But the roles that they both played, obviously, Middleton's not even really had, like, even much of a stretch to what, like, Red had to do when he was at his peak. Um, it's it's just really hard to, to compare the two outside of they were the same jersey. <laughs> it's a, it's an instant argument because the circumstances are so different. I mean, I, both of us have gone Middleton, but others will think that's a travesty, and it's clearly red, and they'll make their argument, and I'll say, yeah, okay, it's, you know. You might be right. I might be right. I, I just, it's, there is an element of apples to oranges there that makes it tough to, I think, have a definitive answer. Yeah. But I I would probably lean, it's hard not to, now that Middleton has been a part of and a key part of the kind of quality of teams he's been a part of, it's hard not to give him the edge. And that is I mean, somewhat unfair on red, but he's a, that is kind of how it goes. You know, we, we just, we don't know because we didn't see it, but maybe with someone else then, if Red wasn't quite as successful as, say, Middleton has been, well, then you see some elements of his game that are the reason for that. You know, it's... For all of the good he did, it's it's much lower stakes because of the books were never really anywhere during his time with the team. You know, he brought them everywhere they went, but it ultimately the stakes weren't as high as Middleton has had to deal with certainly this season and last season. Yeah. I mean, he's 50-49 guy that can play. He, he He's not a lead, has the lead role as Red did, but uh, Phil's, I mean, he has a, a use and a purpose on this Bucks team that, you know, Red didn't really have uh, the supporting cast around him. Or, uh, like, beyond Bogut or I'm trying to think of who would even be his like Mo Williams. I mean, that's that's what we're kind of talking about. I mean, fine players, but not you don't have a Giannis, you don't even have a Bledsoe uh, around him. Yeah, uh, it's it's a tough one, but I I would definitely go Middleton. All right, that's it for us for this episode. We'll be back again soon, probably next week, maybe a little bit sooner, maybe a little bit later. You know the deal at this point. Um, but we'll continue to do mailbag, so keep an eye out for that. Make sure you're reading our writing. We write every day on BehindTheBookPass.com. You can find myself, Jordan, the rest of the team's work up there. And you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and keep listening to our episodes going forward. As always, we appreciate you listening, all your support, and we'll be back to you again before too long. Stay at home, stay safe. Thanks all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.